You may be seated. Praise God for the gift of music and the wonderful songs that we have sung this morning to really prepare our hearts and tune our hearts to the Word of God, and I'm thankful for it. Please take your Bibles now as we turn to hear from God in His Word. Turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and find verse 38. Today, we resume our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Luke, and this morning we take the opportunity to look at a, a very famous passage of Scripture about Mary and Martha and their interactions with Jesus as they host Him and the disciples that are moving into their village. And over the last couple of weeks, we have taken the time through the book of John to get to know Mary and Martha and their brother named Lazarus. All three of which were really, really close to Jesus. Really close friends, intimate friends, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this Mary and Martha that we've set up the background the last couple of weeks. This is, these are the characters in this passage. So keep that all in your mind as we come back into the book of Luke. Follow along as I read our passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good Part, which shall not be taken away from her. Bow with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I don't know of a more important passage to look at as we begin a busy fall in our church family and our our families, than this passage. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts to hear your word, to be able to be stirred up to put aside distractions that might not allow us to really connect with what's happening here. Give us imagination through your spirit to see and to feel and to really own 
this passage and then to be able by by your grace lord to look in the mirror and to make some changes based on the truth that you're revealing to us help us now as we come back into the book of luke we are excited to be back here again for all that you will have for us as we move into this passage today we ask this in jesus name amen My wife asked me a question uh, a while back, and she, by the look on her face, I knew that I better listen carefully, and I knew that she, because of the little smile on her face, I knew that she was trying to, to win and by her questions, you know, get me to have the wrong question. So I put on my thinking cap, and I was ready for the challenge. Here was the question. What is the most read book of the Bible? She asked me. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I got to get this right. <laughs> I wondered if it was John, right? The book of John. I wondered if maybe the famous epistle to Romans might be the answer. And so I believe I said, John. And she says, wrong! <laughs> it's Genesis. Because people start their Bible reading plans in January and then for a variety of reasons pull out of it by when? February. But why is this? Why, why is Genesis probably the most read book of the Bible? There's many reasons we could give today. But let me submit one massive reason in our culture today. We as a people, as individuals, as a culture, we are frantic. We are crazy busy as Kevin DeYoung said in his book. We are living frantic lives. We are busy, so busy. I'm not going to say too busy. That's between you and the Lord. We are so busy, though, managing stuff. We have to manage our finances, and we have to manage the insurance companies, and we have to manage our landscaping. I'm glad I've got help on that. We have to manage our oil changes, our interior decorating, our vacation plans, our church schedule, the evening volleyball games, our hobbies, and, and all of us right now, the sticker shock of the fall schedule. Right? And in all of these activities, as we come to them, and we're tempted to, to begin to work and to strive in the flesh and we begin to be filled with worry and filled with striving and what happens is because of our schedule we can be tempted by the world the flesh and the devil to set aside our time with Jesus setting aside Jesus because 
of our schedule serving Him. So this morning, as we move back into the exposition of Luke, I want you to see this from our passage. I want us to sit at the feet of Jesus this morning and listen to this passage. And I want us to listen to His exhortation first. And then secondly, as we look at some parallel passage, I want to follow His example. And that's our simple outline. We're going to listen to His exhortation from this passage, and we're going to follow His example from some parallel passages. That's all we're going to do. Number one, then, listen to His exhortation, His challenge to all of us this morning. Well, as I said, our Lord Jesus Christ in respect to his humanity, did have special friends, he had brothers and sisters, had special friends, and he was really, really close to this family from Bethany, just a couple miles from Jerusalem. Mary and Martha, and the one who he had caused to come up from the grave, Lazarus, Himself. This family loved Jesus back. They were devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They had believed upon Him. They had contributed, it seems, as I study the text, to His ministry financially. They followed His ministry. They were so privileged. He was passing through town. And they couldn't wait. He's here. And so they invited Jesus, their friend and their Savior, into their home, really as one of the family. Now Martha had the gift of hospitality. She is excited. She welcomes her Lord, her Savior, and Jesus is tired He's a real man. And the disciples, I'm sure, are famished. They're hungry. They need a good meal. And Martha's all over that. She loved to serve. And she had energy. And she was focused on her Master. Focused on His comfort. Can you just see, okay, they're coming soon. Okay, we've got the house. Can you see Martha scurrying around to get the guest room? prepared. Can you see her even the day before beginning to prepare the food and straighten up and get ready for her Lord to be here? What a privilege to have Him in the home. And she's excited to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to give Him her very best. And Martha, she was type A. She was 100% plus 20 extra credit. Do you know anybody like that in your life? She was She was a whirlwind. And yet in this point in her life and in the ministry of Christ, she did not realize in, I think, all of her busyness what was in store for her master just two miles away in the city of Jerusalem. So 
So notice then the contrast between Mary and Martha. Look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet. Picture it. She was seated at the Lord's feet listening to His Word. The technical term logos, Word. The Word of Christ that was falling from His lips. Mary is is at this point also very excited, but she's very indifferent, it seems, towards all of the preparations of the home and the meal, at least at this moment when Jesus arrives. And she is interested in just being with Jesus, just being. Someone posted something a while back about our relationship with Christ flowing out of being with Him, not doing with Him. Mary was there being, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, present tense verb, listening, ongoing, hanging on His every word, sitting at the feet of her rabbi. I'm sure as we learn when she poured out the ointment and let her hair down, didn't really care that in those days, typically the women didn't really sit at the feet of the rabbi, but she doesn't care. She's there, sitting at the feet of Jesus, right in the front row, looking into His eyes with a tin. Can you see her there? Can you see her there? I don't think Mary was distracted uh, looking out a a window, um, listening to a bird chirp, and just distracted with Christ at that moment. I just don't see that. It's not the way that the text reads. No, she's sitting right there with an intense desire to learn. She's listening at the Word of Jesus Christ. His teaching. His teaching. But, notice by way of contrast, Martha in verse 40. But, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Stop there. Stop right there. So Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up His Word, Martha, on the other hand, is distracted by all her preparations. Now, this word distracted is very, very important to understand this passage. So listen very carefully. This word for distracted means to be pulled away from something. To be dragged away from something. And so the picture is this. Martha wanted to be sitting at the feet of Jesus too. Do you see that? She wanted to be there too. And she's pulled away from that desire. She's dragged away from it. 
In fact, the word has a sense of being drawn in different directions at the same time. You ever felt like that? Being drawn in two different directions at the same time? Ever felt like that? Like you're being pulled apart. This is the feeling of this word. Dragged away from something that you would really, really love to be doing. And so the idea here is that Martha's soul wants to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, but right now her sense of duty is kicking in, and she's scurrying around, and she is distracted or dragged away by her serving of Christ that keeps dragging her back into the kitchen. And she believes she must put her duty before her desires. Let me say that again. She believes she must put her duty before her desires. And she's doing something good. But she is pulled away from that which is best. You have to understand that Martha is one of Jesus' most devoted disciples. But right now, she is sinning. And I'm not saying she's sinning because she's serving. You know what? She's mad. It's in the text. She is angry. We like to say frustrated, so we don't have to call it angry. But she's frustrated with Mary. She is. I mean, you can see her. Uh, Mary's in there serving. My sister's not helping me. You can just see her being in the kitchen and they didn't have, you know, metal pots and pans, but maybe the clay made noise too, and she's banging the clay pots around a little louder, like maybe she'll get the picture. No, no, Mary's not getting the picture. She's staring up and looking and listening to every word. And finally, she can't take it anymore. Martha can't. We come to verse 40. Take a look at it. But, let's say it again, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord! It's so emphatic in the original language, I'm not going to bother you with it, but it is. It's loud. Lord, do you not care? Ooh. That's the word for... Don't you have any tenderness and care here? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. What a contrast between Mary and Martha at this point. But notice the response of our Lord Jesus Christ to Martha. Verse 41, But the Lord answered and said to her. Whenever it says answered and said, you know, you don't have to say answered and said, but it's a little bit, underline this. Think this verse through. And just, I want you to feel and see the kindness and tenderness in the eyes and the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ in dealing with Martha, who's angry. I love that about our Lord Jesus. Stop there. Jeff, Jeff. 
Jimmy, Jimmy. I mean, he knows us by name. He knows where we're at. He knows our heart, too. And the confusion of how to work it all out this fall. Martha, Martha. And I guess when you speak and look like Jesus did, you get to say the hard things. That's what he does. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. That first word that Jesus used about worried is the word for this inward heart level anxiety. It's the kind of worry we're not supposed to have that comes from the heart. So the first word is this inward anxiety. The second word is different. It's outward manifestation of that inward anxiety. So the the second word, bothered, translated bothered in the New American Standard, is an outward word. In other words, it wasn't like Jesus is using his omniscience here. (laughs) She raised her voice. She challenged the kindness of Christ. And she's showing it because this word bothered is an outward expression of this agitation. It's the idea of uh, of an ocean in the midst of a storm, in the tumultuous waves. Do you see that? These big waves in a storm. So this is how she looks. She's absolutely frantic. And so many things are going on in her mind. She's being dragged away. I've got this dish ready. I've got to get the table organized. I've got to get the guest room prepared. I've got to make sure Jesus is comfortable. And she's, she's worked up to the point of an angry panic. Anybody been in an angry panic today? Yesterday? <laughs> I think we can relate to this. All right, I'm going for the list again. We can relate to this in our lives. PSEO college registration, volleyball schedule, a bills, plural, that needs need to be paid, a mistake that's made at work, a conflict in a relationship, grass that hasn't been mowed, a hornet's nest or three forming, another stain in the new carpet. Oh, Jeff, Jeff. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But notice that Jesus gives direction to Martha. And she never forgot this. And I hope we never forget the next words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without getting on an aside, there's something pinnacle about these words for our lives. There's something pinnacle and and fundamental about these words for our church and for our family. Certainly, in the way the structure of the book of Luke reads, as Jesus is now turning from miracles to 
too, all right, I'm done showing you through picture form. I'm going to tell you now. No more parables, too. He's going to move to teaching. And it's time where the words of Christ, the words and teaching of Christ are going to begin to fall from His lips. So even in the book of Luke, this sentence will really set the theme for the rest of the book as we come into the teaching. Are we going to listen to His Word week in and week out in this exposition? Because this next section in Luke is going to challenge the core of our being. There is shocking teaching coming up for us in the weeks to come. Wonderful teaching. Teaching that will require some rethinking. So on so many levels, this is such an important verse. Let's read it. Let's start again in verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Listen to verse 42. If you like to underline in your Bible, this would be one. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says only one thing is necessary. What is that one thing? Now, do the work of interpretation here. I want you to see it for yourself. Look back at this passage. Answer the question in the context of the passage we're studying. What is the one needful thing? Just look for a second. You'll find it because the time is running in front of me in verse 39. Just look for it. What is the one needful thing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to His Word. Caring for your soul by communing with Jesus Christ at His feet. Looking into His eyes where He is and where He speaks and where you can be near to Him. That's where you find yourself in a position at the feet of Jesus, a humble sort of adoration, a humble sort of worship, a humble sort of love. Mary's always at the feet of Jesus, whether listening to His Word or pouring out her best on His feet and wiping His feet with her hair. She is found sitting at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, now Martha, I know where you want to be. Mary has chosen, and it's a choice. There's options. Do you see that word? Mary has chosen the good part. Now the word part is portion. Now when I say portion to my kids, they don't get that, but that would be like leftovers. So this is a food word. Martha, Martha, you're busy trying to make a meal and you're frantic and bothered and pulled away from seeing me. M 
Mary has chosen the good meal. The one needful meal. She's chosen the good portion. And Jesus describes it as good. There's so many things we call good in our lives that we give our energies to. And they are good. Just because Jesus says one thing is good doesn't mean other things are good. But what we're trying to see here is that the way this is structured, this is the ultimate good. If we neglect this one thing that Jesus calls good, then what does it matter if we're frantic doing all these other small g goods in our lives, in our own strength? Frantic and worried and bothered in our hearts because we'd really like to sit at His feet for once. I was there before when I was first saved. I was there before two months. And we long for it and we're irritated when we're dragged away, especially by the super pious people like Mary who somehow find the time and we can't and we don't. I mean, we pursue so many things. Crowns and kingdoms and raises and reputations and possessions and popularity. Some, of our, some are good, some are fleshly, all of those things ultimately will be taken away. But I want you to notice what Jesus says about this one good thing. Look in your text. Get back, put your nose right there. I want you to see it. Verse 42. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be, future tense, future tense, which shall not be taken away from her. Brothers and sisters, here's where faith comes in. Here's the truth of the Scripture. The benefits of this one needful thing of communing with Jesus Christ, of sitting at His feet, of listening to His Word, the benefits will never ever be taken away from you. They will last forever. They have eternal benefits. There's permanent benefits from this one needful thing. The implications are astounding. Communion with Jesus Christ. Listening to His Word. The good of that will reverberate for all eternity unto the glory of God and for all eternity for, all, for our eternal good. And the eternal good is not playing the violin is great, but the violin on a cloud, disembodied, singing the same hymn over and over again that we think is boring. No, the ironic thing is there's a physicality that's good in the new heavens and the new earth. And, it's, and He's there. We see Him. We're making meals and we're doing stuff and we're building homes. The very thing that we are frantic doing now will all come back to us as we put this priority first in our lives now. It's incredible. It will never be taken away from you. So, as your pastor, or one of them, this is easy, I recommend that you choose it above everything else. Make this choice. Focus on this priority first. 
And I think this is borne out in our context quickly. If, the, if, if Jesus is talking about two types of people that are contrasted in Luke 10 right before these verses, look at verse 21. This is interesting. Jesus says, At that very time He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise You, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in Your sight. And I think in, I think in Mary, we're given the example of one who is an infant sitting there just waiting for the, the milk of the Word of God from the words of her Lord and Savior, dependent and needy and hungry. And to her, to Mary, the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ was revealed. And so she prepared Him for burial and spent her inheritance all over His body. And the contrast is not with Martha. The contrast is within that lawyer who wants to test Jesus and wants to, and it doesn't love Jesus. And this is one who's got it all figured out. He wants to justify himself. And he is the one from whom it is hidden. He is the one that Jesus says is already wise and understanding. The lawyer wants to justify himself and test Jesus. And he is compared with Mary who loves Jesus with all her heart, all her soul, all her mind, and all her strength. And she sits at His feet. And so we are meant to see in Mary, really, in the way this is ordered, really an illustration of what it looks like to receive the good portion that will last forever. Now, brothers and sisters, I was thinking about this. Thinking about as I get older, I'm thinking about death more often. I know I'm not that old. But you think about it, and I'm thinking about laying on my deathbed, and, and I've got this one opportunity to say some final words to my kids, their spouses, the grandkids. And they're gathered around my deathbed. If I have that opportunity, what would I say? Okay, here's my, the 401k. You just got to nail this 401k. Get started. Please get started. You're 22, for goodness sake. Is that what I'm going to say? On my deathbed? Will I caution them against loving their Lord too much? Will I warn them that they ought not to be so radical in following Jesus. Now, what will I say? I would say, no matter what happens, no matter what this life deals out, no matter what the cost, no matter how hard it is, kids, sit at the feet of Jesus. Follow Him. Cling to Him. I'll see you soon. Don't let Him go. He will hold you fast. Follow Him. You gotta get, stay right here. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Because we know in our hearts that this is the only thing that ultimately matters every other priority of our lives. 
And ironically, Jesus is on his deathbed. He knows good and well that he is near Bethany and his death is coming. And Mary, she's gotten it and she's anointing Jesus for burial and it's coming. And there's a sense in which Jesus, in respect to his humanity, is saying, look, I know you want to be here. Just come. I really don't need the meal as much as I need your company. I just want the fellowship with you. And this is how the Lord feels about us. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your works. He wants you. And out of that, of course, love for the Lord flows. Love for others, as was read. We just need to be careful about this Martha take on the Christian life. Because what happens if we are serving apart from communing with Christ? If we are doing, doing, doing for God and for our 401k apart from caring for our soul and leading ourselves to the feet of Jesus, then what happens is, over time, serving in this church and in your family leads to drudgery and legalism and disunity and division and divorce! Does it not? This is where it goes. And you know what? It leads to legalism. I mean, what do you think Martha's doing here? We begin to be critical of other Christians who aren't serving just like us. It's the 80-20 once again, and of course I'm part of the 20. As hard as it is, we become judgmental and legalistic. And I would just say, maybe it's us. Maybe we need to check our hearts. Life is very short. We need to choose very carefully. And Mary, Jesus said, chose the good portion. And life does not automatically sort itself out into godly priorities. We've got to choose. We've got to choose. So listen first to the exhortation of Christ. One thing is necessary. And then secondly, let's follow His example. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Turn back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Let's see how this played out a little bit in in the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, in the early morning, Mark 1 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And I want to make two basic observations about this verse. 
And I am thankful to Pastor Kevin DeYoung for his help and insights as I've studied this topic over the years, and it's particularly in this portion of the sermon. I want you to notice that Jesus set his priorities too. In respect to his humanity, he set his priorities. He did. He had to. Jesus got up early in the morning. I'm sure he was tired. He'd been healing all day the previous day until late at night. He was exhausted after that in the context. He was. He was beat. And he was still dark out. He found a secluded place. What was he doing there? He was spending time with his father. He needed to get up early because of the crowds. He needed to find a secluded place. Very practical suggestions. Not legalistic suggestions, but practical. He prayed to his heavenly father. Now, that's not really the shock of this text that he set his priorities to meet with his father. The shock of this text is that Jesus stuck to his priorities. He knew what his mission was on this earth. Jesus did. He said in John chapter 6, listen to this. He says, My food is to do the will of my Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is the food of Christ. This was his good portion. The food of him, what nourished him and sustained him and tasted good, what he ate. So early in the morning, and Simon, bless his heart. He's always the first he comes and he interrupts his devotions. I mean, come on. Simon's and his companions, right? Search for him. Where is he? The crowds are stacking up. There's needs. We've got to get going again. Where is he? I can't believe this. We're looking for him. And to him all who were ill and who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And after that long day, the whole town says, I want more. And they're clamoring to see Him. They're clamoring to be touched by Him. And He gets up and He spends time with His heavenly Father. And He's interrupted by Simon-led horde, frantic like Martha. And Jesus, what does He do? Okay, it's time to get back to work. No, he stuck to his priority. And he says, there's tons of work to do. But he says, verse 38, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For this is what I came for. Jesus, in respect to His humanity, set His priorities and made hard decision to stick by His priorities. And aren't you glad, as He set His face like flint to go to the cross, that Jesus kept His priorities in your place? That He went there to the cross for you? I'm glad that he had his priorities straight. What about our priorities? Singles and moms and dads and kids and teens and college students, we all need this. Pastors, deacons, 
ministry leaders, what is the one needful thing from which all of that activity flows? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to His Word. You say, I thought it was the Word and prayer. Well, that's why we get into the Lord's Prayer in the next sermon. Indeed it is. That is the one needful thing. I'm not going to be legalistic here. I'm not going to tell you when to do it. I would tell you, brothers and sisters, do not listen to the lie of the devil. If you were loved God, you'd spend more than you'd spend at least 20 minutes doing this. And then the people that do spend a half hour doing it, he'll say the opposite thing. Hey, you think you're pretty good, huh? If you, brothers and sisters, forget the lies of the devil, I would challenge everyone in this room who's hearing this to pay attention to this text. Everything we do flows out of our relationship with Christ. Sit at the feet of Jesus. I'd rather have you as your pastor spend five minutes with Jesus, truly saying, Lord, show me something. I need you. And begging for help for five minutes. Put your ears... Plug your ears with the lies of the devil. Five minutes with Jesus. I'm telling you, when you start tasting the good portion, oh, you're going to be back for more. We need to believe that this is our good portion and it's the only thing that will transcend the ravages of our physical death. And I'm telling you what's so ironic about this. You can be really busy in a godly way as you prioritize Christ and, and meet with Him. It's, it's like it sorts out the decisions and the priorities of your life. And it helps you know what needs to go and what doesn't need to go. It is the one needful thing. And I would just submit to you that we all have some rearranging to do this morning. We all have some rearranging to do this morning. But the Lord is great. He's not going like this. He's like, no, He's so... I'm here. I, I, just, I, I want to be with you. He understands our schedules. He understands the pressures. He knows that we're but dust. And He invites you to come. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's take our place with Mary at the feet of Jesus, and we will be forever glad that we did. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for preserving this text and really in conjunction with the passages in John chapter 11 about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We look forward in heaven to talking with them and asking them about these interactions. 
And Father, I pray that you would forgive us for kind of forgetting the important thing in our lives and being distracted and even falling into sinful anxiety and anger about all of it. Lord, we confess that to you as individuals and we ask that you would help us. Thank you that you love us, you've forgiven us, and that you'll give us every needful grace to see your beauty, Jesus, like Mary did as she remembered and learned this lesson and poured out her inheritance on you, knowing that you are altogether worthy, altogether glorious, the pearl of great price. And we know that Martha learned. And we, want, and we know that you brought her along to one of the greatest confessions of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ. And uh, that was almost exactly like Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Father, Martha learned this lesson, and we don't want to, we want to learn too. Teach us. Strengthen us. And we know this will be ultimately what helps to order our lives to please you. Thank you for this passage. We ask you to bless the rest of our day and this week as we live this out. Give us the grace to put this into practice, to be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.